reason for that love is because of the life that we have in Christ. And it's a life that we receive by faith and it's a life that enters us into the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God is the, this reality that, that Jesus brought into existence with his coming. And now that he has defeated sin and death, there is now a reign. It is not the final and full reign, but it is certainly a, a reign that is real, that is transforming and changing our lives. And we spent uh, quite a bit of time looking at the kingdom of God from the Old Testament perspective and looking at the promises that were made. We're now looking at, at how the promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, we see the promises kept by the King who came. Friends, there was and there is a plan for the kingdom of God. This plan was promised in the Old Testament. It is now being lived out and it will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at how Jesus fulfilled a particular powerful promise uh, that we see in Isaiah 40 verse 11. It says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently those lead those that are with young. One of the great mercies that God gives us is to understand our own ability and his ability to save. I love the way Alistair Begg said it. God wants us to know that we can't so that we can discover that he can. Everyone who has life in the kingdom of God has a different story. When Christ comes into our life, uh, we, we gain something significant and new that is eternal. And we have a, a story now that, that doesn't just have one part, it now has three parts. And if you've repented and believed the gospel, you need to be able to speak to your three-part story. Uh, part one, life before saving faith in Christ. What was that like for you? For some of you, you were young. You need to ask your mother or your father what you were like. I'm sure they have stories of, of, a, of a sure sin nature that was active and at work in your life. But then for those of us who believe, there's part two, coming to saving faith in Christ. For some, I can, I can tell you that almost the exact hour, I can take you to the place, to the address, and I can remember the date as, a, as, it were, as if it were yesterday. For some of you, it's a season. You can remember maybe a, an event that corresponded to that moment where, when you know you first believed. But then there's part three. There's, there's life with saving faith in Christ. And that's the life we have in the kingdom of God. And that's the life we're studying this year. And everyone who has life in the kingdom of God, uh, they, they, they have this because of the, of the goodness of God. And friends, it's so important that we tell others about our life in the kingdom of God, how we've come to have it, and speak also of the demands that are there. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And, and salvation demands that we put our full trust in Jesus Christ. And when we meet that demand and we trust in Christ, we, we now have this life in the kingdom of God that is a part of a plan that is bigger than us, but certainly a part of us. We get to be a part of the plan of the kingdom of God. And that plan has demands. And that's what we're going to look at. That's what our text is going to reveal to us today. The demands that are a part of the plan of the kingdom of God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 13 through 31, and so we got a scholar to read these long verses for us. And so let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Ellie comes to read this lengthy section of scripture for us this morning. Again, we're in Mark chapter 10. She's going to read for us verses 13 through 31. Ellie, go ahead. Mark 10, 
And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, who, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time house and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and father and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ellie. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Last week, our, our staff went on a retreat, and, and I always love that time away, but I also dread it because it, it, there are demands that have to be met. Uh, there are things that, that I have to, to give up. Uh, my, my schedule is, is pretty full all the time, and, and so I know that when I come back, there's going to be a mound of work that is, that's waiting for me. But, but even more than that, I mean, personally, I have to be willing to surrender control. And if you know me, you know I have a, a, a difficulty with the issue of control. I love to live with the illusion that I am in control. And, and to do this retreat, I, I, I have to surrender control. And I, and I asked Pastor David to com take complete control of the retreat, where we will go, what we will eat, what we will study. And I simply go. And I, and I, and I constantly thank David for being in charge and for always leading us well. Uh, this year, I had to trust the driving skills of Pastor Hunter, and that took faith. He's a young guy, his foot is heavy, but we got there uh, in, in plenty of time, and, and, and it does. It requires me to, 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 to trust. I had to be willing to engage in activities, things that I don't, uh, you know, usually do, like hike and play games and sing, sing in a small group. We get in a circle and we sing uh, hymns and songs and spiritual songs together and eat when others are hungry. Not when I'm hungry, but when everyone else is hungry. It seems that everyone was hungry all the time. And so we, we've all gained a, a little bit of weight, but I can tell you it was worth it. It was worth meeting these demands 
because of the blessings that came not only to us, but you know on that hiking trail, I want to ask you to pray for someone. His name is Skylar. He's from Canada. We shared Christ with him on the hiking trail. He's supposed to be in Bowling Green today, headed to Mammoth Cave, but he promised he would stop into Living Hope today, so pray for him. We also met a couple from the Netherlands that we shared Christ with. Uh, she had a tattoo of a, a saying from um, the Narnia uh, books and uh, created a great conversation. They're spending 40 days going across America. And as, it, as God would have it, they're supposed to be in Bowling Green this morning. And so we're praying that they too will show up and worship with our congregation. But this is what happens when, when we simply choose to trust God. And say, God, I know you have a plan. I know you're at work. I want to be a part of it. Now, in order to be a part of that, there are some demands that we have to meet. It doesn't just happen. It happens as we live by faith and we live out the demands of the plan of the kingdom of God. And our, our text today has many, but I want to point out to you three. Let me encourage you to write down and to remember these three demands. The, the plan demands, first of all, childlike faith. Childlike faith. You know, children are dependent upon those who rear them. Children see the world and experience reality according to the training and lifestyle they are reared in. That's why the public education system is so very important in our country. Because we send children at a very young age, at a very impressionable age, to be taught by people that we are told that we can trust. And friends, that may have been the case at some point in our society, but there's now a season and a time when, when parents, you need to be very cautious and you need to be aware and you need to be engaged in the process. You need to be praying for your school board members and for those who are leading the, in the site-based decisions that are going on there because there, there is a very strong corrupting influence that, that is bearing down on our country of people that want to model for our children an immoral lifestyle, to teach it as normative. And that's terrifying because, because children are dependent. Children are dependent and they believe what they are taught. They behave as they are encouraged, even if they try to fight against it. And they become what they are formed into. Jesus says that in order to gain life in the kingdom of God, we, we must come to him as children. And this childlike faith, it demands that, that we be willing to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That we be willing to believe the scriptures and the gospel that they proclaim. Friends, that is not some convoluted, you know, convoluted complicated system of beliefs. This is, this is not an ideology. God is not asking us to trust in an institution. God is not even encouraging us to, to rely on people like me with religious educations and, and so-called religious authority. No, no, no. It's much easier than that. It's much more beautiful and more powerful and pure than that. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We must believe the scriptures. We must obey the scriptures. We must understand that Christ died for us according to the scriptures, that Christ has been raised to live in us according to the scriptures, that Christ is Lord and we are trust and obey him according to the scriptures. 
Not according to a philosophy or an ideology, to a personality, but to a person, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who by the power of the Holy Spirit has given us his word. Childlike faith also demands that we be, that we be willing to behave according to the standards of the Holy Spirit. Again, friends, this is not religiosity. We talked about that last week. This is not us building an outward facade as with bricks, as what we want people to see. No, no, no. This is an inward activity by the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms who we are. Pastor Dina Cerna in his book, and I recommend this book to you, The Unsaved Christian Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. He tells the story of sharing a faith with a man who asked the question, if he must now join a particular political party in, in order to be a Christian and to be a part of Christ's life. And, and the pastor, he was completely confused by the question because he, he had preached the gospel. And he, he, was, he was confused as to why this person w- would think that. But, but honestly, it is a sad day that so many pulpits are filled with political rhetoric, that, that this kind of confusion would be created. Also, it's a sad day because there are so many people that can only think politically. There are some in our midst even who will often critique me and send me messages frustrated by what I did or did not say according to their political view. Not according to what the scripture says or what the authority of Jesus Christ demands, but like Marxists, they see everything through the view of power and that that power must come through a political means to an end thinking that the means always justifies the process and that that ends is, is always necessary as though we know best. Friends, there's only one who knows best and that is our Father in heaven, amen. And he has revealed what is right and what is true in his word and he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the fact of the matter is that when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives in and through us. And the Bible, which was written by the Holy Spirit, is our rule for life. He, the Holy Spirit, illuminates reality and the hope of God's people with the scriptures. And those who are truly saved and are born again, we're able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We're able to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is commanded in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 22, and 25. I'll put it on the screen. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is what childlike faith does. Childlike faith, it, it, it behaves according to the standards of the Holy Spirit. It, it, is, it is a person who believes and obeys the Bible, the, the Scriptures, and trusts in the sufficiency and the authority of Scriptures. And ultimately... Childlike faith demands that we be willing to become, to become like Jesus. And this is the ultimate goal of the kingdom of God. Children will become what they admire and love. Never forget that, mom and dad. Children will tend to become what they admire and love. And it's important that we point them to the right heroes. Jackie Robinson is certainly one of the great heroes of American history. On April 15, 1947, at the age of 28, he became the first black baseball player in the Major League Baseball's modern era. And he faced a ton of persecution. And he was called awful names. And there were things that he had to endure that, that, that many of us will not today because thankfully of the, of the changes in our culture. 
but, but it was a sad day when he came to the conclusion that he no longer wanted to be anybody's hero and he was ready to quit. It, it had cost him too much. The pain was, was, was intolerable. And so he went for a walk to process through how, how it was that he was going to quit Major League Baseball. And as he was walking, he looked over and he saw a group of boys that are getting ready to play baseball, a group of white boys who are getting to, ready to play baseball. And the, the boys began to, to call out who they were going to be, pretend to be as they played the game. And one of the first voices says, I'm Jackie Robinson. And it was in that moment that Jackie realized, I can't quit. If there are white boys all over the, the country who are determining that they want to be like a black man, I can't let them down. And so he didn't. He continued to, to, to be a hero to many. And, and, and that's what kids do. They, they want to emulate their hero. Can I tell you the greatest hero who ever lived? His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero. He is the ultimate friend. He is the ultimate person to follow. It says in, in, in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It is the goal of all God's people, all of uh, those who've been adopted into the family, all those who've been made citizens of the kingdom of God, that we would be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. It says in, in Romans 8, 29, this is the order salutis, the, the, the order of salvation. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And so many people get caught up in the mechanism of predestination that no one can describe rather than focusing on the ends of the means that God has determined. And what is that? What is the end? That we would be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the plan of the kingdom of God is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that will only happen in as much as we choose to come to him with childlike faith. A second demand is this. The plan demands unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. Jesus calls all who would follow him to completely surrender to him just as Jesus surrendered all for us that we might be saved says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the covenant command of Christianity. Christ gave up all for us so that we could give up all for him. It's pictured often in a marriage ceremony, one of the covenants that most people understand still in society. Although sadly it has been cheapened by American law, the Bible still speaks of the reality of what God intended and what God created, this union between a man and a woman. And in this marriage covenant, both surrender their, their singleness. They surrender all that they are and they commit all their worldly goods and their entire lives to the other person to love them and keep them in sickness and in health, to remain together until death parts them. That is a covenant commitment that begins and ends with complete surrender of one's life to join into the life of the other. And this is the picture of Christianity. At baptism, what does a person do? They're completely immersed in the water. What does that signify? It signifies exactly what we said. You have been buried, you have been buried 
You have been buried. Who is buried? Dead people. Your old life is over. You've been buried with Christ. Your old life is done. You've been washed. You've been raised to walk in new life. You've given up everything. None would be recognized, at least not in our church family, of a man who once being baptized, I hear this is a true story. I don't know it for certain, but I heard that there was a man who literally was going to be baptized. And as he was, he pulled his wallet out and held it above the water. What was he saying? Oh God, I'll give you everything but this. And friends, that is not a person, according to our text, that, that we, would, we would be able to hold to as actually being saved. See, that's what this, this rich young man wanted to do. He wanted, he, wanted, he wanted Christ, but he did not want Christ at all costs. Christ, recognizing his, his difficulty, called him to unconditional surrender. Friends, it is a blessed life, a life that gives up what it cannot keep in order to gain what it cannot lose that comes to Christ. And Christ demands an unconditional surrender. What is that? I put it on the screen for you. An unconditional surrender is a surrender in which no guarantees are given to the surrendering party. It is often demanded with a threat of complete destruction, extermination, or annihilation. This is what the U.S. allies offered to the Axis allies at the end of World War II. Unconditional surrender. There, there will be no terms. There, there will be no conditions. There will be no concerns. You will simply come under the authority of the conquerors and you will abide by the laws and the directions that are given. This is what Christianity is. Christianity is not an add-on to your busy life. Christianity is not something that you supplement to, to give yourself some sense of happiness and peace. Christianity is a complete surrender, an unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. This, this rich man, he, he wanted to come to Jesus with conditions and Jesus identified what the rich man was unwilling to give up. John MacArthur in his study Bible says this of our text. Jesus was not making either philanthropy or poverty a requirement for salvation, but exposing the young man's heart. The issue was to, turn, to determine whether he would submit to the Lordship of Christ no matter what he asked of him. So as he would not acknowledge his sin and repent, neither would he submit to the sovereign Savior. Such unwillingness on both counts kept him from the eternal life he sought. There will be many nice people like this rich man in hell because they would not come to Christ with unconditional surrender. There are many today who will not come to Christ because they say, no, 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 I can't give up this. I cannot give up that. I, I, I cannot give up what is more important to me. And it is so sad because they are unwilling to give up what they cannot keep to gain that which they cannot lose, which is salvation in Christ alone for all of eternity. Oh, friends, where is your heart? Can you truly sing and pray, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give? I will ever love and trust him, and in his presence I will live. I surrender all. At your feet I lay me down, all my scars and all my crowns. Jesus, I surrender all, no more having my own way, no more chasing yesterday. Jesus, I surrender all. That is the unconditional surrender that is demanded by the plan of the kingdom of God. Last, the plan demands 
inconvenienced obedience. Inconvenienced obedience. Life in the kingdom of God is not always convenient. As a matter of fact, many times it is inconvenience. But if you'll note, many of the best things in life come with great inconveniences. Children are one of the greatest blessings in life. And they are truly one of the greatest inconveniences in all creation. Can I get an amen? Also, boys and girls, one of the great blessings that comes with inconveniences, parents, and certainly siblings, and sometimes even grandparents. Boys and girls, can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. I think we can all say both school and work are certainly filled with inconveniences, but we're glad for both when they're done. Amen? Yes. And then friends and extended family. Having good friends is hard. Because friends disappoint and so do extended family. And you disappoint them. And there's times when you're ashamed and, and you have to go and you have to apologize. And you have to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Th these are all inconveniences. And these are also the great blessings. You know, one of the things I love about the local church is it's pictured as a, as a great family. And, and the Bible speaks plainly uh, of what, what it means to, to have life in a, a local church family. We use the disciples' cross to, to describe that. Notice at the center we gather for worship. Notice at the base we equip for growth. Notice that we, we connect in groups and that we serve our church and world. And, and, and at the top of all things, we, we, we make more disciples. We make disciples of Jesus Christ. Friends, that all comes at a great inconvenience. Nothing about doing those five things is always easy. You will not always feel like doing these things. There will be times when these things are very, very inconvenient. But they are the things that bring the blessing of needed relationships, the blessings of God. You know, when we, when, when, when we engage in the kingdom of God through the activity of a local church, we, we gain the help of hundreds of people. When you look at the text there, and it, it speaks to, in, in, in verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands. How does that come about? Well, it comes about through our sharing of life. That comes about as, as us looking after one another of us sharing and, and, and caring for one another. Think about all the inconveniences that, that, that were endured today, that will be endured today. For instance, our worship leaders today, they had to practice all week. They were here Thursday night practicing for a couple hours. They, they arrived early around between 6 and 6.30 just to be ready to lead us. That's not convenient. Don't you know there were some who wanted to sleep in? Don't you know there were some who wanted to watch the NBA games Thursday night? What about the teachers? Many of our teachers this morning, they've been studying all week. They've been praying all week. Some uh, in preparation for unruly people that will be in those rooms. Yes, senior adults, I'm talking to you. There are, there are children that are going to be tough to teach this morning of all ages. There are going to be challenges. It's not convenient to be a teacher. It's not always easy. It's an inconvenienced obedience. We have nursery workers and they're going to change things today that do not smell good. 
There are going to be those who are monitoring the hallways. We have children like my children who love to escape the nursery. I had escape artists for children. Gifted people who could get out of very stringent conditions. And then our greeters. This morning there was someone at the door who probably looked you in the eye and said, good morning. Told you that they were glad you were here. Why? Because they were willing to be inconvenienced. Getting equipped, being in a group doesn't always feel convenient. You know, when we go overseas, you know, one of the things that, that is challenging for me is just the, the, again, going away. But can I tell you uh, the blessing of, of living for a week or more in apartments in China or mud huts in Africa or marble floored apartments in Europe or basements or attics or living rooms or even sometimes luxury hotels because of the kindness. And do you know what a blessing it is for our church right now to have two homes within a hundred yards of my voice right now where we have missionaries. Right now we have a couple from, from Afghanistan who's come to live for the next year to help start an Afghanistan church with the resources that you've provided through your tithes and your offerings. We have our partners that you're gonna hear from in just a few weeks, Mark and Parker Phillips, that are sharing a new vision for West Africa that you and I get to be a part of. We get to house them and to love them. They have access to hundreds of homes and we have access to hundreds of homes all over the world and family and friendships, why? Because we're willing to be inconvenienced and obey. The plan of the kingdom of God demands inconvenience to obedience. And it comes with a blessing. Look at verse 31. It comes when we're willing to be the least. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. When I came to Saving Faith, I mean, within that summer, I believe it was, there was a man who got up to sing and his voice captured me. It was a Louis Armstrong type voice. And it turns out he was the janitor of the church. He was a member of another congregation, but from time to time, our pastor would hear him singing in the hallways and he would ask, oh, would you please come sing that on Sunday morning? And he would, he would be inconvenienced and he would obey and he would come. And I remember one morning, that morning, after he sang that our pastor, Brother Bob, said something. He said, great is his reward in heaven. He said, friends, I must tell you, I believe that, that this man will receive a much greater reward than me in heaven. And I didn't understand this because here's a man whose, whose sermons were in the newspaper, who was regularly on TV debating others and, and an apologist. There, there, are, there are untold thousands of people who, who are in heaven today because of him or who will be. How can this be? He said, well, I, I, Brother Wells, I, I've been recognized for so much of what I've done. It's been seen. See, it says in Matthew chapter six, verse one, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There is a hierarchy in heaven. And as surely as there are legal systems and processes, now there will be greater, purer systems in heaven. And we will all have a place of work and opportunity to serve. But it is clear that those who will be given the greatest honor and authority are those who are willing to serve at great inconvenience to themselves. Friends, are you obeying in such a way that it's inconvenient? Are you giving in such a way that it's inconvenient? Are you praying in such a way that is inconvenient? Are you exercising inconvenienced obedience? This is a demand of the plan of the kingdom of God. I know some of you can't because you're not saved and I pray today you will be. 
I know some of you are not because you are not submitted to the lordship and leadership of Christ. He's just an add-on to your life, which is completely inappropriate. And among us, there are those who have not yet learned to truly trust and obey. And I wonder what that might look, for you, look like for you today. Let's process that for a moment. Let's all stand together. And if you're a care leader, would you please come forward to minister to the church? And as they do, let's pray together. Father God, I, I can't help but know in this place there are some who are struggling to meet the demands of the plan of the kingdom of God. They are saved, yes, but to what end? Father, I pray for maybe some that aren't saved, that today they would recognize their need and that they would trust in you completely. That they would rely on nothing in and of themselves, but fully in your sacrifice and love and be saved. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself, Lord God, that we would not fool ourselves into thinking that, that we are somehow good Christians or superior if we're not truly meeting the demands of the plan of the kingdom. If there is any way in which you are falling short, why don't you repent of that? And to repent is not just to say, I'm sorry. To repent is to, is to have a course correction. Why don't you right now repent and make that course correction that needs to be made that you might meet the demands of the plan of the kingdom of God. Oh God, you are faithful. Your word says over and over that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. But Father, bless us not to rely on, on, on a grace that does not transform. Let us, Lord, live in a grace that is transforming us into the image of, of Christ Jesus. And Holy Spirit, enable us to experience the blessing, the blessing of meeting the demands of the kingdom of God to your glory. And yes, God, to our blessing. Bless us, oh God. Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to you. Lift up your countenance upon us, oh God, and give us peace. And we promise to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.